Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about real devotion very practically in the context of serving. Some of you sitting here are going, oh man, I wish I'd have slept in this morning. But I believe you're here because God wants to say something to all of us through Scripture. I want to tell you at the very outset that as I was putting this teaching together, I found myself throughout this week really looking at my own life and the service of my own life. One of the things that I recently did with the board of the church is I went over kind of my goals and objectives for 2016, and the board looks at those and holds me accountable. But even within the context of that, I was looking at really where I'm serving and the things God's called me to do, and I just think it's healthy from time to time, even if you're a person that is serving and you feel that you're serving purposefully, it's I think healthy again to sort of push the pause button and to look at serving again. When we've been talking about real devotion, we've talked about some tough stuff. We've talked about our hearts. We've talked about real devotion begins when I recognize I need a savior. We've talked about literally our physical bodies. Where God calls our physical bodies to be fully devoted to Jesus. I will tell you I got some email responses to that. I want to confess to you that some people did not like that teaching. I want to say, I want to say I'm sorry, but I'm not. Here's why scripture calls us to things that makes us uncomfortable. This might be one of those squirm in your seat teachings. But I believe that scripture squares up to us and literally calls us beyond ourselves. And so again this morning, we're going to take a look at Scripture together along the lines of serving. And just so you know, the Scriptures we're going to read were penned by the Apostle Paul when he was in prison for his faith in Jesus. So if you would please turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. We're not really going to look at any other uh, passages this morning. I'll quote some, but these are the verses that I would like for you to focus on with me. And as we focus on these together, I would like for you to read them to yourself. I'll read them out loud. But as we read them, I'd like for you to read them in the context of serving. Here's what Scripture says, imitating Christ's humility. Imitating Christ's humility, that's the heading. I've been told in my life that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. You ever heard that before? That when someone imitates someone else, it's the greatest form of flattery that there is. What I want to say is, imitating Christ is what being a follower of Jesus is all about. It's not flattery, it's life. And when we imitate Christ, and we are a group of people that are following him, and he is the focus of our lives, it changes everything. Now let's read together in Philippians 2 verse 1. Therefore, now, if you study scripture, whenever you see the word therefore, you're supposed to ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? That's deep, isn't it? I just took you way deep into scripture. 
The good news is you can read that later. Let's go on. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, have any of us sitting here ever experienced Christ's comfort? Would you say that's true? Raise your hand. Say, yep, I've, in a moment of life, I've sensed his comfort. We're going to come back to that. If any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness, we're going to focus on the word tenderness this morning and compassion. Paul says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Verse 3, brace yourself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Do not who did not, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking on the very nature of a servant, say servant with me, ready? Servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We're going to end with communion today. We're going to remember about how Christ served to the point where it took him to the cross so that we would be free. Reading on, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. As we are reading these verses, again, I would like for us to consider the whole idea of serving. I want to begin here. Philippians 2.1 says this, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, here's what I want to say at the outset. If you are not a Christ follower, this is not for you. I'd encourage you to still listen and journey with us. But if you are not a Christ follower, this message is not for you. Paul's talk here is for people who say, I'm a Christian. If you say you're a Christian, if you have been united with Christ, this is for you. If, it's, if you are not one of those people, I'd encourage you to consider becoming one It'll be the best decision you've ever made in your life. It will transform your life from the inside out. I'm not saying don't pay attention. But what I am saying is for those of us who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, this is for you and it is for me. As we move on, we come to a part where it begins to say to us, that we've been united in Christ and if we've experienced any comfort from his love. I like that thought. 
I know in my life, after having said yes to being a follower of Jesus, I've experienced God's comfort. I can't even explain to you how it all works, but I've sensed God's comfort in the midst of unspeakable tragedy in my own family. I've sensed God's comfort when I face things I never would have signed up for. I have sensed God's comfort in the middle of the night when I was concerned about things. I have sensed God's comfort when I went to fall asleep. I have sensed his comfort greet me in the morning. What I can tell you is I am incredibly thankful for God's comfort. And I would tell you this, God's comfort is eternally different than self-talk. Huge difference. God's comfort is something that he provides for people when they ask for it. God, I need you. And his comfort steps in. Comfort's a good thing. It's a good thing. But what's incredible to me is that if you were to look in the Newer Testament and you'd look at the word comfort, it wouldn't be long until you hit the following verse. This verse is from the, the book of 2 Corinthians, not Philippians, but 2 Corinthians, but written by the same author. I want us to listen carefully. Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. There's the word. Praise to be to the God of all comfort who comforts us in, his, in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So the understanding in Scripture is, is that if Pete Hartwig's ever been comforted, if I've ever experienced God's comfort, that comfort should not end with me. That comfort is put there by God so that when I've experienced it, I look for someone else that needs comfort. How many of you sitting here know of someone in the relational web of your life that you know this morning is in a hard time? How many of you know someone like that? How many of you know someone? Can I encourage you before the end of the day, get out your smartphone, text them, say I'm thinking about you. And then if they respond, say let's get together. Let's go to Starbucks together. I'd like to sit down with you. I know you're in a hard time. I would like to journey with you in the midst of this. And some of you are going, but if you knew the trouble my friend was in, you wouldn't say this. In fact, some of you thought of a person, and now you're punting, and you're going to the next person. And then you think, and you're punting them, and now you're going to the next person until you know of someone that has a little tummy ache, and you're going to get together with them. I would encourage you, the first person that came to mind, maybe that was God saying something to you. And here's what I want to encourage you. When you sit down with them, trust that the God who comforted you will comfort them. You don't have to gump it up. You don't have to have all the right words to say. Sometimes all it takes is to sit down and listen. And when they're done sharing their story, you say, would you mind if I would pray for you? Now, can I encourage you to do something? 
I pray for a lot of people. I've prayed for people in the middle of Zinberger. You ever notice if you go to restaurants how close some of the tables are? It's kind of creepy. You're trying to hold a conversation and the person's earlobe's right here, right next to you. But I have prayed for people out loud in Zinberger and the people at uh, tables on either side of us had no clue what was going on. I would just look at the person and say, would you mind if I'd pray for you? And they'd go, yes. I'd say, how about now? They'd go, no. (laughs) But I'd say, listen, I'm just going to have a conversation with God about you. And they always say yes. Listen, when it comes to serving, Paul here is teaching the church of Philippi the following thing. That real devotion to Jesus looks like this. If I've been comforted by God's comfort, 2 Corinthians teaches me this, that the same comfort that I've had in my troubles, I'm now going to offer to other people. And what an incredible comfort that is. How about if we're the type of church that believes that when we go to comfort someone, the comfort of God goes with us, that I'm not stranded on my own in the midst of that. I remember when we first started going to church. I've mentioned before we were from an unchurched family and we started going to this church and then our family moved and we went to a new church. When we went to the new church, about half the people were Italians. I'd never really met Italians before. I had met German farmers. I had not met Italians. There is an eternal difference between a German farmer and an Italian Pentecostal Christian. Trust me, huge difference. But when we started going to this church, there was this oversized Italian woman And every time she saw me, she would wrap her arms around me and yank me in. Now, I want to tell you, when you're a young teenager, that begins really creepy. But I will tell you, after the first time, I always acted like it bothered me, but I loved it. Right? Because I knew someone saw me And they wanted me to know that they had seen me. And they were one of those people that said, okay, bring it in. Bring it in. Big Italian hug. The other thing that God had blessed her with, she was a phenomenal cook. Whenever we had these potluck dinners at this small church, I would always watch to see what she put down. And I would go there first because she was an awesome cook. But I so clearly remember this woman who offered comfort and encouragement to everyone around her. And it was incredible. And here's what I believe. People need God, but at times they need God with skin on. They need that. They need someone to text them and call them and say, let's get together because I know that you're in a difficulty. And let's get together. I want to hear your story. And when you're done listening, don't panic. Pray to the God of all comfort and say, please, God, comfort this person as I do my best to comfort them as well. That was a good catch, wasn't it? (laughs) 
Now as we read on, Paul takes them deeper into serving. And as he does, we pick it up in verse 3. And in verse 3, the apostle Paul says the following. Actually, we're going to actually deal with the word that I mentioned earlier first. It talks about if in the spirit you've experienced any tenderness. If any tenderness. That's a great great word. I'm going to teach you a Greek word this morning. The word for tenderness is splanknon. Can we say splanknon together? That's just such a verbal word. Ready? One, two, three. Splanknon. That's the Greek word for tenderness. Splanknon does not sound like tenderness, does it? Not at all. The word tenderness does, but splanknon doesn't. But Paul says to the church of Philippi the following, that if you've experienced God's comfort, if in the Spirit and sharing in the Spirit, there's been this tenderness, you've experienced tenderness. Splanknon is a Greek word. And that Greek word, the Greeks viewed it as the seat of your emotion, but those emotions were violent Severe passion, rage, or anger, that's splanknon. But the Jews viewed that same area, your gut, your stomach, that area where your emotions seem to come together, that's called splanknon. And for the Jews, it was different. That's where you feel compassion and you receive tenderness. That's where that hits you. And if you were like me this morning during worship and were singing some of those songs, it was in the splanknon that I experienced it. It was in the guts, in the depths. And it's fascinating to me as Paul is pastoring the church of Philippi through this letter, he's talking about a gut reaction to the goodness of God. Have you experienced the tenderness of God in your guts? I have. I've experienced it often. And as I thought about that word, I recognized that for some of us, as we're sitting here this morning, God has been speaking to our guts, kind of to the center of who we are. And when I held up this card and started talking about serving, you had this twinge in your gut that said, I think I'm supposed to be doing that. Some of us, when you were sitting here and I said, think of a friend who you know needs comfort. And as I began to speak about getting in touch with them in the splanknon, you went, I should do that. God kind of moved your guts. He moved you in tenderness and said, that's something that I should do. We're going to come back to the idea of splanknon in a few moments. But as we move deeper into the scriptures that we have read, the Apostle Paul says the following, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Dropping down a little bit further, he goes on to say, not looking out for your own interests, but of each of you to the interests of others. Let me say this very straightforward. We live in a culture that demands our rights. We live in a culture that leads us to believe that a lot of stuff is owed to us. 
But it's fascinating to me that as I focus on Jesus, and he's the focus of my life, and I'm following him, as I read through the Gospels, I get really unsettled. As I look at Jesus, it gets really unsettling when I begin to demand my rights. And as I look at the scriptures and I look at Jesus, here's what Jesus said about himself. Mark 10, 45. Here's what Jesus said. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life is a ransom for many. Somehow that doesn't fly very well in Western culture. And yet the more I read the Gospels, the more I understand Jesus, the more I kind of get to know him as I follow him more closely. As I look at verses like that, and what I recognize is, is that Jesus calls me to a very different thing. And if you were to read a little bit further in this text where we were reading, here's what it tells us. That Jesus, who being the very nature God, in verse 6 and verse 7 says, he made himself nothing into the very nature of a servant. If my Savior, my Jesus, did not cling to his rights even though he was God, then there's something in here for me. Maybe God is calling me to give up some stuff as I follow Jesus. And as I follow Jesus, suddenly I discover that Christ, through his life and through his words, calls me to flip all of this on its head to where suddenly serving others and not doing stuff out of selfish ambition and vain conceit and not always looking out for myself, Christ calls me beyond that, to move way beyond that. Let me tell you a little story. This week I was putting this message together. And what really bothers me about putting messages together is when I'm writing sermons, writing teachings, usually at some point God will say, but Pete, that's for you. I hate that. Why can't I get up and just preach sermons for you and then me not live them? So I'm in the middle of writing this sermon and there was something that needed to be done and it was not in my portfolio. It's someone else's job to do. It was in their portfolio, not mine. I had mentioned it to them several times. I want you to do this. Didn't happen. I hate to say it, but this portfolio was not at work. It was within my own home. And I was sitting there doing this message, putting it together. The Holy Spirit went, why don't you go do that? No. It's their job, not my job. Go do that. So I went up, went into the yard, and collected what seemed to be five years of dog mess. 
And I'm not joking. I'm cleaning it up, and the stuff looks like it's multiplying before my very eyes. I walked one grid of the yard, did another grid. I've got the bag over my shoulders. It's completely full. I feel like Santa Claus bearing really bad gifts, but this thing is really heavy. And then I go back over the grid again, and there's more. And I'm looking around for the dogs. where They're inside, and the stuff is just multiplying, and I'm out there. And God says that's what it means to serve. It means to serve when it's not your job. And the truth of it is, when you do it, no one's going to care. But what I recognized is this serving thing is so practical. It's either we're serving or we're not. You can't fake it. There's either something God's called you to do that you're doing or you're not. And when we look at these scriptures, as Paul kind of drags us deeper down into the pit, he says the following thing, have the same mindset as Christ. Have the same mindset as Christ. I'm going to tell you, I had the mindset of Pete Hartwig the whole time I was cleaning up the yard. Yet Paul says, listen, Christ who had every right to say, I'm not going to do this, did it. He became a servant in his very nature and he stepped down into humankind and he did not come as a king who sat in a throne. He came as a king that served. Big difference. And here what we understand is Paul calls us to have the same mindset as Christ. That God became a servant. But what I will tell you is I've, I've looked at this this week. It has motivated me. I've been motivated by the one that I'm following. His life has motivated me to be a person who views serving as the highest calling, not the least of which. As I studied serving, I found something that made me chuckle. As I looked at it, I found a passage from the Older Testament that challenged people to do stuff. I want you to listen to it. It's Ecclesiastes 9.10. Here's what Ecclesiastes tells people in the Older Testament. Whatever your hand finds to do, in other words, when you're serving, whatever you're doing, here's what the writer of Ecclesiastes writes. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Here's why. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Wow, that really motivates you. Some of your scriptures literally say the following. Whatever you do with your hands find to do, do it with all in your might, because you're heading to Sheol. You're going to hell. And there, there's no planning. There's no, it's, it's over. And I looked at that and thought, wow, that's not real motivational. How did that make people serve? I, I don't even get this. That whatever I find my hands to do, I'm to do it with all my might. Why? Because I'm going to die. But boy, is it different in the New Testament. In the New Testament, God comes in human form. And in human form, he doesn't come as a king in a palace. He comes as a servant. 
And the scriptures tell me, and Paul challenges these people, that we're to have the same mindset that Christ did, that he came as God, but chose to be a servant instead. What could this look like practically in my life and in yours? Here's one area. Maybe you're newer to faith. Maybe you've just chosen recently to be a follower of Jesus. I've got a friend of mine here at City Church who said yes to Jesus a few years ago. And they ended up, as we met for lunch one day, we were talking over lunch and they were processing through what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And as this individual sat down across from me, they said to me, they kind of blurted it out. Here's what they said. They said, you know what, Pete? I have given my business over to God. I've given my business over to God. Their employment, what they do to make money, they had dedicated it to God. And it surprised me because they were kind of new in their journey of faith. But they said out loud, look, I have dedicated my business to God. And what it doesn't mean is that they started putting scriptures all over the cubicle where they'd work or they didn't put bumper stickers on the window of their office or they didn't play Christian music out loud so other people could hear it. That's not what it looked like. What it looked like was this individual had the mindset of Christ every time they stepped into their employment. That they weren't just going to work to make a living but they were viewing their job through the mindset of Christ about how can I serve? How can I make a difference? How can I step in there and view my job differently, my employment, my business differently? The next time we met, they talked about how that new view had shifted everything for them. They viewed the people they worked with differently. They viewed making money differently. They viewed everything about their job differently. They dedicated their business to God. And what they discovered is where we're going to end up this morning, and it's this. All of us are called to follow Jesus and serve others. Follow Jesus, serve others. When people would ask me, what is the Christian life? There it is. Follow Jesus, serve others. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. And what we discover with the Apostle Paul is that he is bringing people to this place. Christ came as God but he chose to serve. And if I'm going to follow Jesus, I too will serve others. I want to put it to us this way. If you are not following Jesus, I want to see if you can follow what I'm going to say next. You might be sitting here and one of these will be attributable to you. You have a gifted mind have you ever asked why? You have the ability for making money. Have you ever asked why? You have a gift for speaking. Have you ever asked why? You have academic strengths. Have you ever asked why? You have a winsome personality. 
Have you ever asked why? You have a strong physical body. Have you ever asked why? You have athletic skills. Have you ever asked why? You can see when others are hurting. Have you ever asked why? You have some strength or some gift. Have you ever asked why? And have you ever asked where did it come from? If you're a follower of Jesus, our line of questioning must be different. And it's this. If you have a gifted mind, the question is, why Jesus? Jesus, why do I have a gifted mind? Why do I have a strong, capable body? Why do I have the ability to make money? Why do I have academic strengths? Jesus, why do I have such a winsome personality? Why, Jesus, can I see when others are hurting? Why, Jesus, do I have this strength? Why do I have this gift? Jesus, why do I have this? Because Jesus gifts us in these areas so that we can use them to serve others. As a follower of Jesus, the most common question should be, why Jesus? What is this going to look like? in my life as I serve others. Here's the final departing thought. It's this. Are all my strengths and all my giftings supposed to be just spent on me? So has God gifted me with time, with energy, with money, with capabilities, And am I supposed to actually believe that as a follower of Jesus, that's all for me? Not true. Instead, Paul says to the people in the church of Philippi, listen, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Look to the interests of others. And so my question has to be to us, And I'll warn you deeply, the closer you follow Jesus, the more deceptive the American dream becomes. But the closer I follow him and the nearer I am to Christ, there is such a relief and such a release that comes into my world. Here's why. There are some of us sitting here and you would say, my relationships are right. Where I live is right. My social connections are right. Financially and job-wise, everything's right. Educationally, things are right. And in your gut, inside your gut that we talked about earlier, you're saying to yourself, there must be more than this. If this is all there is to life, I'm in horrible trouble. And by the grace of God and through the goodness of Jesus, Christ comes to us and says, you don't have to live just for that. You can look at all of those things that have gone so well in your life and you can begin to understand these are not an end to themselves. But instead, as a follower of Jesus, I can begin to surrender all of these to him. 
And I can begin to find purpose and meaning and life in the midst of these things. I know some of us that are sitting here, you have everything you've ever wanted and you lack purpose. Jesus Christ came and he gave it all up and he surrendered it to God and lived the most purposeful life you could ever imagine. Some of us sitting here, our splanknon is going crazy right now. You're trying to silence what God is speaking to you. And if you're like me, you're looking at this idea of serving and you're going, oh boy, I don't know about this. Some of us are even sitting here going, the trajectory of my life needs to change. I want to serve Jesus. I want to make a deep, big difference. Some of us are even looking professionally and saying where I thought I would go in my future, maybe I need to consider serving Christ at a different level than I could have ever imagined. But I can promise you, when you begin to take these steps, your flesh will rise up and say to you, if you do that, you're going to be flat broke. If you do that, you won't fit well with what other people want for you. If you do that, it's not going to fulfill the American dream. But you know what's amazing? Is the Apostle Paul had the same tension. In chapter 4 of this book, the Apostle Paul says essentially, I've served Jesus, I've had times of want, and I've had times of abundance. And then there's this verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul knew what it was like to serve and have to give up stuff. But in the midst of that, that verse is quoted, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We're going to close out our time by taking communion together. And so what I'm going to ask that you would do with me is if you would take out your communion I'm going to ask maybe if a couple of the ushers could grab plates just in case some people may have missed it. But we're going to conclude our service by holding in our hands and celebrating together the fact that Christ truly did come as a servant. And in the Apostle Paul's words to the church in Philippi, he said this, that Christ made himself a servant and he followed through with that to the point of becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. We can take communion together because God came into this world as a king who served. As we hold these emblems together, I'm going to ask that we would stand together. And as we stand together,
Could we thank God together that as we hold the emblems of Christ's broken body and his shed blood, can we thank him together that Jesus came to serve? That because he served, our lives have been transformed. Paul said he became a servant even to the point of dying on a cross for us. How is it that we can hold these emblems of Christ's death and not consider serving for him? He has served us with everything. He has blessed us so abundantly. Now he comes to us and he says, will you serve me? Better yet, will you serve with me? Will you be willing to step out and make a difference in the world in which we live? Loved ones, I can't help but saying this. We live in such a self-centered society where entertainment is of the highest value. But serving has been completely lost. Let's you and I commit before Jesus that we're going to, as we take communion, we're going to allow the mind of Christ to begin to be the paradigm through which we see our lives. And it will take seriously the call of Scripture to be a group of people who don't do things out of selfishness and vain conceit, but we will commit to doing things as servants to bring comfort and to bring the love of Jesus to others. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, for what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul was clear to the Philippian church, the reason why we can take communion is because Jesus was a servant. He served to the point of death. What a calling that is to you and to me. What a calling. But what a purposeful life there is to be lived. Jesus, thank you for your broken body. As we hold this, we recognize that you gave up the very nature of being God and you took on the very nature of being a human being. But as a human you served. Jesus, we recognize that you have served us. We give you glory. We give you thanks for your broken body, which brings healing into our lives. Let's partake together. Paul goes on to write that in the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's hold the cup up before the Lord. Jesus, thank you so much that you came as a servant. Jesus, thank you that you came into this world. You didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. 
Jesus, as we hold up this cup that symbolizes your blood that takes away our sin. We rejoice in it. We love you for it. And we worship you as we drink the cup together. Callie and the worship team are going to lead us in a closing hymn, the closing worship chorus. And as she does this, we're going to conclude in prayer now. And as we conclude in prayer, if you would with me, just take a moment to close your eyes, but to open your hearts up to Christ. Can we do this together as we close? Jesus, thank you that as followers of yours, you call us to serve. I pray for each one of us that we'd experience new purpose in life as we take on your view that Paul commanded us to. Jesus, thank you for City Church, in which and through which hundreds of people serve. But now I pray over all of our guts, all of our splanktons, I pray that as you've been speaking to us, we would obey what we've heard and we would serve. Jesus, thank you for your challenge to us. Now may the Lord bless us. May the Lord keep us. May he cause his face to shine upon us. And may he give us we're going to conclude our service through worship. When your heart is satisfied and your heart is full, you can feel free to slip out quietly. Wanted to encourage you to visit the Serving Expo if God has prompted you. God bless you. Let's worship just for a few moments and then exit when you feel you can. God bless. Take my life and let it be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the Oh
So 
Yeah.